Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, I chat to athletes, coaches, and industry professionals about their sporting journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Guests range from Olympians to the everyday lover of sport, but the message stays the same. There is so much more to sport than what meets the eye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'd love to hear from you. Before introducing this week's guest, I'm jumping in to let you know about a special Instagram giveaway happening right now. Brooke Stratton, Olympic long jumper and guest in season one, has kindly donated part of her 2016 Rio Olympic uniform to one special follower. With Tokyo coming up and Brooke literally jumping onto her second Olympic team, what a special piece of memorabilia. Head over to our Instagram page at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart to enter. Entries close on Sunday the 30th of May at 10am Melbourne time. Read through the Instagram post to check out all the terms and conditions. Good luck! Welcome to part two of my chat with Matt Charles, a world-class full-contact fighter, respected business owner and family man. If you haven't listened to part one yet, pause this episode now and go and listen to it. We will be here when you get back. In the second part, Matt lets us into the mentality behind his club environment and the lessons he's learnt along the way. We also hear about his 12-hour fight in 2014 to raise money for a member of his community who was battling with MS. We get an insight into what he felt leading up to the event and what was going through his mind in those last few hours. If you've listened to part one, you'd know that there's a little bit of background noise in this episode. What you can hear is what it's like on a Saturday morning in the studio. It was so good to feel the community vibes, especially since the extended period of time Melbourne spent in COVID lockdowns last year. Let's get into part two with Matt. So most people sort of brag about, especially having that club environment that we've got the best club in the world and we're all bonded and everything else. I've got a club here where the people that you've seen coming in and out all day, we had Johnny and Rog, they've both got two sons here. Yeah. Their youngest son, uh, Robbie, he started in our Kinder Ninjas class. He was maybe four, four years old when he started. Yeah. So he's 17 now. And of course, John uh, started when Robbie was maybe nine or 10 years old. So he'd been watching his son for quite, for, for quite some time. And the same with, with Roger. His son started very, very young as well. He sat in the sidelines and watched for, for a little bit. Both dads decided to join. Yeah. They both did at the same time. They've been side by side for their whole journey and they both graded the black belt two years ago. Was it three years ago? Huge, huge journey. Yeah. And for the two of them, they had to fight the 50-man Kumite, which is 50 rounds, bare, bare knuckle. Wow. But then a year later, you've got to back it up and fight another 40 rounds. So they both went through that. Both their children are now uh, national champions in karate and they've just done extremely well. We've travelled the world together. Yeah. And we've got a club here where it's not just the black belts and the high level people who um, who fit the inner circle, mm-hmm. I suppose. We've got white, white belts who have become part of our inner circle pretty, pretty much straight, straight away. And it, cause it's got nothing to do with your prowess as a martial artist and everything to do with fitting the mold of the person who displays Budo in their lives. Yeah. So pe- people who are prepared to live the good life, be be giving, they tend to fit, to fit in here 
a whole lot faster. Yeah, it's the mentality rather yeah. than the physical. Exactly right. I'll have guys that have been here, they're, they're brown belts, they've been here for 10 years, but they're still kind of, kind of on the outside fringe of things just because I know that they don't live the way that they should. They profess one thing but then go and do another. And I'm very, very cautious about how close those types of people get uh, to my inner circle. Yeah. Because those that are in the inner circle, I protect them with my life. Yeah. Um, and I can sort of see people who, uh, you'll get, I'll use an example, you've got somebody who is friendly to their neighbours, they know the bloke down the shop, they know this person, they're nice to that person, everyone still sort of sees that same face of them every day, every day, everything's nice and kind, and then as they get to people who are closer in their circle, to people who are living in their home, they're not very nice to those people that are in their home. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the family that I grew, I grew up in. Mm -hmm. like my father didn't like his kids at all, but the guy down the shop thought he was a good bloke, and the guy at the pub floor thought he was topped, and everybody else he worked with was great. So he was giving 90% of his love and attention to the non, outer. To, to, to the outer, yeah. to the 90%. Whereas I give my 90% to the closest 10, 10%. Yeah. I've still got enough for everybody else. I don't know the guy's name down the shop. I might give him away, but that's about it. But those that are in that, 10% get 90% yeah. of, of everything that I'm about. Every, everybody else on the outside gets that 10%. Um, it's still a lot. Yeah. It's, it's, it's still a lot. But those that are in that tighter circle, they get the absolute best of me. Yeah. And was that like a lesson you've learned through karate through and living the yeah. lifestyle? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So living martial arts, you realise that there are so many people out there who make all these professions to be this and be that and I'm a fifth down this and seventh down that you know world champion this and blah 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 and there are so many of them and martial arts is no exception you've got this massive collection of people but the ones that you can actually trust is a very very small amount it's a very very fine 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 amount yeah and we've searched the world practically to find them so the ones that we have found that we cherish the most we make sure that we look after and Especially with my teacher, he's pretty much at the pinnacle of it all. But there's only a handful of people that, that he actually trusts and has conversations with. And everybody else, all they get is just a couple of words, this and that. But to be in that tight, tight. Sort of circle with yeah. somebody, it's, it's an honour. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it privilege, but it's uh, certainly an honour. Yeah, yeah. That's very special. I like that. That idea of looking at it. I know I have like a bubble around me and I only let certain people into that bubble mm. and I guess it's like a similar concept. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So is there a lesson that you've learnt along the way that you'd either share to your younger self or maybe even your daughters or your students? Is there one lesson that would stand out? Mm. Definitely. Be kind to yourself. Never say negative things about yourself. Not, not in the past, not in the future, definitely not in the present. You've got to be kind, kind to yourself. Yeah. Most, 99% of the world out there is going to be called negative. You cannot afford to allow yourself to be negative to yourself in any way. Mm -hmm. Never call yourself names. Never call yourself stupid. I've gone back in time many, many times where I've sort of sat beside my younger self and put an arm around around his shoulder and said don't worry everything's going to work out just fine yep. trust me so i think that that's probably the most important lesson is just be kind to yourself yeah yeah there's a quote out there i'm going to butcher it but it's something like whatever you believe 
to be true will be true. It, it, it is. Yeah. Whether you believe you are, whether you believe you aren't, you're right. Yes, that's the quote. You've got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you think you are, whether you think you aren't, you're exactly right. Yeah. And you become what it is that you, you say and project. And, and words are an extremely powerful thing. Yeah. I don't think people put enough emphasis on the importance of it, mm -hmm. especially parents. I think more parents need to talk to their children about uh, self-talk and self-discussion, self yeah. self-discovery, but I think most parents don't do it themselves anyway. Yes. So it's hard to teach a parent, I need you to teach your child this, but I need to teach it to you first. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the difficult part that I find here. I get parents who come to me and say, my child is always misbehaving and you should be injecting them with all of the discipline that they should have in their lives. I think, right, okay, no worries at all. So what I'll do is I'll start with you first. Yes, yeah. So how about I need you to be a better person, I need you to... Um, They're going to learn off you, yeah. yeah. I just had this conversation with a student um, not too long ago. And I sat down and I said to the parent, you know, in my house I have a rule. Yeah. And that is that we don't call names. doesn't matter how silly it seems, we don't call names, especially to ourselves. And he said, oh, well, I suppose my daughter hears me say that I'm an idiot all the time and I'm this and I'm that. You know, but you know, I keep telling her to believe in herself. Mm -hmm. But how can you expect somebody to believe in themselves if, if the person who's trying to te teach them that doesn't follow the same lines? Yeah, yeah. You've got to take those lessons on for, your, for, for yourself first. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it's like that power of manifestation. I don't, it's a bit spiritual. I don't know if you're into that sort of side of things. But I know mum did a lot of manifestation work with mm. us. And yeah, she taught us mm. affirmations and believe in that. And even now, like when I start to hear a negative thought into my mind, and I did it a lot through swimming. I'm like, you've got this, you've got this. Mm. When I was swimming 200 meters butterfly, I thought I was gonna drown. Just having that positive self-talk does help. Yeah. It's probably one of the most important aspects of self-growth. And I've said this many, many times to the students, so I'll, wherever we are, especially out in the dojo, I'll tell them to look around. And I say that this was once just a figment of my imagination. Yeah. That's all this was. It was once, it was, I was a kid with nothing. Mm -hmm. And I had dreams to become some something. Yeah. And all of this was just a figment of my imagination. All of the skill that you know, especially when I give somebody a black belt, all the skill that you now know Everything that you've learned over these past 10 years, this journey that you've been on, this incredible journey, was just a figment of your imagination. Yeah. And now it's actually real. Yeah. You know? And I use that all the time. But if I want something to happen, I, I, I verbalise it, 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 everything. If mm -hmm. I want some, something to happen, I'll always project it. I'll always say it. For years I said, I want to cut a hole in that wall. I'm going to cut a hole in that wall. I want to get in the next door. I'm going to cut that hole, hole in the wall. Or I want to build upstairs, I want to build a bigger club, I want to do this, I want to do that. I'll ver verbalise everything. And then once I start to verbalise it, I'll start to believe it, I'll start to put plans in place. And then mentally it becomes a thought every day. Mm -hmm. And then of course, setting goals, as you well know, what can I do today that's going to help, that, help me to achieve that goal? Mm -hmm. And every day I've got to be doing something positive that puts me one step closer to the manifestation of my reality. Yeah. And if my reality is, this is actually one of five clubs with 2,000 students, 
If I say that now, I can guarantee you that in a few years' time you'll come back. We will have five clubs and we'll have two, two, two thousand students. Yeah. It's just if you say it, you make it happen. Yeah, and you've got to act towards, live the life. Live that the you, life. Yeah, exactly that right. what you imagine. Yeah, yeah, so believe that you've already kind of, we're going a little bit spiritual, but I believe that you have got it and act towards the way that you've got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't call it spiritual. I call it human. Well, I think it's becoming a lot more mainstream now, which I really like. It is, absolutely. We've got people from all walks of life here, many religions, Muslims, Christians, Buddhists. The common thread is, is that humanity, that uh, we all have a goal, and mm -hmm. the only way to achieve that goal is through positivity. Yes. You can never achieve anything through a negative frame of mind. Mm -hmm. It's just not going on to work. Mm -hmm. Everything has to be from a positive stand standpoint, and, and, and if it's not, it falls over. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Now, you we mentioned a little bit earlier your 12-hour fight yep. for MS. So yep. you did that in 2014. Yes. Wow, 2014. I know. It was like seven, seven years, years ago. ago. <laughs> yeah. And I remember coming into this studio for the first time then yeah. uh, with my dad, and we watched you do a few rounds. Mm. Was there a reason why you did that? There was. I had a, a, a friend of the club, Julie Ferroni. She had four boys that trained here. Yeah. Back then, the boys were all really, really small. They're all big men now. Um, Julie came, came in. She was one of those typical busy mums with four boys, kids running everywhere, controlling this, in the door here, out the door there. And I was just what, what, watching her go about her everyday life. And then I noticed one day she was limping. I didn't really think a lot of it. And then... A couple of weeks later, the limp was getting worse. And then she came in on a walking stick and I said, are you okay, have you hurt yourself? And she said, no, I've actually got MS. And I went, oh, right, how do you manage that? She goes, well, you know, I, I, I just do. Yep. While she's wrestling all these kids back, back out of the car. From there, I just started to watch the way that she was dealing with that situation and also de dealing with her kids. They mm -hmm. were boisterous. Yep, the boisterous four, boys. Four boys really really boisterous dad's really really good as well he is a professional golfer so he's off doing what it is that he's doing and mum is running all these kids kids around and struggling with multiple sclerosis at the same time and it was getting worse and worse and worse then one day she came to me and she said look i i need to get treatment over in russia um there's this new stem cell thing she told me all about it and then she said but it's going to cost me seventy thousand bucks i'm like wow Gosh. that's that's a lot yeah and she said, so I'm actually here to ask you a favour. And I'm thinking, I hope she's not asking me for 70 grand. You know? <laughs> I don't, don't have 70 grand. I don't have 70,000. She said, would you be willing to help me do a fundraiser? And straight away I said, yeah, sure. Yep. Absolutely. And she said, okay, well, and I said, have you got any ideas? And she didn't have any ideas. I thought, okay, well, I'll have a think about it. So I went home and then I sat there and literally I thought, how could I get the most amount of impact and do something that is just shows just as much of a fight that she's putting in. Yeah. So I thought, I'm going to fight for 12 hours. Yeah. And I'll fight anyone who stands in front of me. In, in martial arts, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a challenge called the 100-man kumite, which mm -hmm. basically you fight 100 rounds back, back to back. And it's kind of the ultimate. That's the pinnacle. Yeah. So if you've got the physical strength and the emotional dur durability to be able to get, get through something like that, then you know, that, that's a real sign that you're ready to become a master. So I thought a 12-hour fight. Now, mentally I thought, well, 
I could definitely do it physically. I think I could get through it. Yeah. Um, would be so the mental. I, yeah. So then I paired, pitched the idea to her. She she said, I think that's a fantastic idea. So you'll fight for an hour, and then we'll get somebody else <laughs> up, and then we'll get. I said, No, no, no. I'm going to fight the whole the thing. The whole thing. Yeah. And she was like, you mental. <laughs> you're completely mad. Yeah. Have a think about something else. And I said, No, nah, look, I think it's going to work. Mm-hmm. I was quite fit at that stage anyway. So I thought, okay, from now on, I'll, so I think I set a 12-month target. So I thought, in that 12, 12 months, I'm not going to refuse a training session from anyone who offers it. Offers it. Yep. So my rule was, if you offered me a training session, I had to do it. Yep. So I had people coming in all the time. Matt, we're doing B- BJJ tonight. And you go, oh, all right, no worries at all. I've got to go do that. <laughs> and then straight after, we're going for a 5K run. Yep, no worries, I have to do that. And then the next day, we're going to swim for five kilometres. Yep, no worries, I have to do that. Yeah. 5,000K row, no worries at all. So I just constantly did these things over and over and over. Um, so within, within the 12-month period, I felt strong enough. I, I, I was able to pace things enough as well. I sort of learned to pace ra- rather than sprint. Yep. Uh, but I knew, knew, I, I knew it was going, going to be um, a pace. So then I opened it up to all the students and said, anyone who wants to come in and fight, mm-hmm. go get sponsorship from your friends and family, and then you can fight me for however many, however many rounds that you want to fight me. Yeah. So we had kids come in and say, that, yeah, they wanted to fight me for 10 rounds, and adults would come in and wanted to fight me for 20 rounds. So we, just, we sort of had to cut it down because the response was so great. Yes, yeah. Um, I ended up fighting 200 and... 80 rounds oh that day. Oh my gosh, wow. So almost three times the pinnacle. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My, not that I would say that what I did was any greater than the 100 man commentator because it was a completely different. Yeah. Um, I was resting at times throughout, throughout mm-hmm. as well. I fought, I think we, uh, we, we, we did all the stats. I don't have the stats here, but I think amongst all the stats, there were. I think there was 180 adults and the rest were kids. And they also calculated how many punches were thrown, how many, how many kicks were landed, how many, you know, all these stats. And I looked at all these stats and, you know, the, the two, 2,000 leg kicks that I took and, you know, and the 4,000 punches. And it was wow. just this ridiculous amount of stats. And I thought, wow, that's just incredible. But the last fight, so we started at 7 o'clock in the morning and the last fight was 7 o'clock that night. Yep. And I'm a big one um, for nutrition. Mm-hmm. And like I always say to my students is sugar is the enemy and I see kids come into class with like their energy drinks and I don't see the point of any of that stuff, you know what I mean? It, 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 even somebody at the pinnacle of their sport couldn't possibly use that, that amount of energy that is contained in these things. So at the end of the 12-hour fight, how things were going, because I had all my body composition done beforehand, I was on a very, very healthy, I think 12.5% body fat. Okay. That's not bad. It was a good amount. Yeah. Um, and I needed that little bit of extra padding on me because as you are getting hit so many times... Um, it protects your organs, doesn't it? It does. It protects your <laughs> organs. It protects your muscles from bruising. So yeah. So you don't bru- bru- bruise as much. When I finished it, my body fat was higher than when I started. Right. Um, I didn't eat it all that day. Yeah. But I, I did did eat the day before. But what we saw at the end of it, this was the interesting part part about it, was this is completely, completely off, <laughs> off the subject, I know. But um, towards the end, the last four hours, it was getting to the point where I was dying really, really fast. Yeah. And, and, and I could pick, pick myself up, but then I'd die. Crash off. again. I'd, 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 I'd crash. And I couldn't stop and eat. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't 
I did didn't have the body process to be able to convert that food into into sustainable energy. Yep. I used all the glycan in my muscles. So the only thing that we could use was honey. Uh huh. Sugar. Yeah. So I'd have a teaspoon of honey be between each round. Yep. And sure enough, I'd get up and that was able to sustain me for that amount of time. Yep. But that was for for like the last three hours. And the interesting part about that was you you would think that it was only a small amount of sugar but it was enough to sustain me. But even during that intense activity, my body couldn't process that sugar fast enough. Mm-hmm. Well, actually it could, but I couldn't use it all. Yeah. So my body was still storing fat. Ah, uh, yeah. So I was still storing most of the sugar that I was intaking, even though I was physically at the very, very pinnacle of ability. Your capacity, yeah. So my capacity was super high. Yeah. And those small amounts of sugar my body couldn't even pro- pro- process it then. Wow. So it was still storing as fat. Yep. So I ended up finishing it with more body fat than what I had when I started it. Oh, that's crazy. Which I thought was just amazing. And I think how much damage does it do when a child comes into a class with their sports drink, guzzle that down, uh-huh. think that they're actually doing doing something right for themselves, and all they're doing is putting fat in their organs. Mm. You know, because it's going to store as visceral fat around your organ. And I just sort of, so that sort of started my war with sugar. <laughs> you, you sound like my mum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a war of sugar at our house, yeah. but um, sugar is allowed. Sugar now, is allowed? Well, sugar. In, my, in my house, it is allowed. Oh, okay. Yeah, with me and Todd, yeah. He's a, he's a high, big fan of sugar. Yeah. But I guess, like, he's an endurance athlete. So. Well, he's got every excuse in the world. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, sugar and chips are training foods not actually not actually but yeah sometimes that's what gets consumed <laughs> yeah, it's funny you had different people metabolizing well, anyway, that's a whole other story. that's the thing like every single person would react differently and mm. you've just got to do what works with your body mm. and i'm not a doctor not an expert but not one size fits all mm. yeah it's funny 2016 i dropped down to 4.5 percent body fat wow and that was that's dan- like dangerous it was dangerous it was um, and then my teacher had a look, look at me this one when I was in Thailand and he said you need to have um, sugar yeah and I couldn't really because my body doesn't metabolize sugar very very well and I, I get very very hypo <laughs> um, so I had to drop off the carbs a, a little bit more as well just, just because of the cardio train, training. So I thought, okay, up the carbs, up the sugar. Yep. I'd have a scoop of ice cream every night. Within two weeks, I'd gone up to about 10%. Wow. Uh, and that was just through one scoop of ice cream yep. on top of my seven hours of tra- training every day. Gosh. And my 12-kilometer run and my 20 minutes of skipping and yep. all of that stuff. Yeah. Just that one scoop of ice cream every day was enough to put my book to nearly double the body fat that I had. Wow. In the space of two, two weeks. But I felt like garbage. Yeah. I felt really, really bad. See, it's yeah. what your body can run on as well. Yeah. 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 So I found that protein and nutrients, my body runs really, really well. Mm-hmm. Carbohydrates, not so much. Mm-hmm. Complex carbs, not real good at that either. Yeah. More simple carbs, simple sugars, like uh, fruit sugar, sugars are perfect. Yeah. So fruit sugars, um, proteins, and new nutrients of course from fruit and veg yeah yeah it's it's very interesting like how different yeah different people metabolize different foods Mm. and how they react in their body and i I even know like between myself and my partner we both eat kind of differently and i know i 
go better with veggies and he goes better with more carbs mm. and it might be the way that we're training and our energy outputs but yeah it's definitely oh, that is very very interesting mm. now back to the ms back, back to the, <laughs> the, the ms fight so you lost oh you actually gained body fat yeah. over it yeah what in those hours i know you were feeling those dips how did mm. you feel like were you really struggling mentally Mentally and physically, I'm, 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 I'm able to sort of separate that very, very well. Yeah. Um, I, I never knew that if I had to crawl over the finish line, I, I knew that, that that's what I'd do. Mm-hmm. If my last fight meant that I couldn't get off my knees, well, then that's just the way it was going on. Yeah. So mentally, I knew it was something I could do. I had to do it. I started it. There was no way I wasn't going to finish it. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit worried about physically being able to complete it because I knew there was going to be a price to be paid for it. Yes. So I think I remember making a, a, a decision throughout um, the last three or four hours that I was only going to fight adults. Yep. And I only wanted to fight experienced fighters because I was getting guys that were coming in that did, didn't have as much experience. Um, they were throwing shots that would cause a lot more damage than somebody who's got a lot more control. Yeah. They had a lot more control. So I had to be really, really mindful of that because I'd taken a few big head shots as well. Um, I'd, I'd lost most of the skin off my knuckles and my hands. Um, yeah, I was getting bleh, blisters on my feet, all those things. Yeah, yeah. I expected all of that. Yeah. But, um, I'll, yeah, I was starting to worry too. Yeah. Yeah, so we ended up changing the modalities a little bit as well. I ended up fighting jujitsu for about an hour as well. And that was simply just so I could lie down for a while. Yeah, yeah, switch it up. Yeah. Your muscles are different. Bit of yeah. a yeah. Yeah, so I put the gear, the BJJ gear on, and I fought some BJJ rounds as well, and that helped to change to just to change things up enough. Yeah. Um, but getting through it physically, it was interesting. Yeah. But again, what I realised that by the time I got to the end of it, the next day I was at the beach, waiting my legs in the cold water, and I was still walking. Uh huh. I was still functioning. Yeah. I came to the club that night. And I was still moving, so it wasn't like everything shut down. Mm-hmm. And I had to go and rest. I wasn't carted off the hospital. Yeah. So it was kind of like, well, did I really give everything that I could have given? Should I have given more? Could I have done better? Could I have fought harder? Could I have squeezed in another 20 rounds? Could you have made it 13 hours? <laughs> 13 hours? Yeah, Maybe yeah. I should have done it for 24 hours. You know, it's all these things that I was sort of going through at that point thinking I, I could have, if I wanted to, pushed harder and harder and harder. Yeah. And I always had that thing where I was able to get through it and think to myself, yeah, I could have gone a bit harder if I wanted to. You didn't leave it all on didn't leave it Is all, it the yeah. dojo? You didn't leave it all in the dojo? Didn't leave it all in the dojo. Yeah. 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 Mm. But then training with my teacher, when he took over um, my fight camps, there was never any training sessions where I walked out and thought that I could have possibly given, given any more. Yeah. It was extracted. It was... It was um, more than you thought you had? Well, certainly more than I thought that I had, but it was always going back into that survival, that last twenty percent of survival. Yeah. Um, and literally, I was having to survive at those times. And we went through some brutal training. Yeah. Um, and I think there were a few things, and at times where he, even he, sort of realised that maybe we went a little bit too far. Yeah. But you know, and I'm dealing with those consequences now, but um, I still wouldn't change it. From the lessons you've learnt from it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it gave me a more mental, for the physical price that I paid, the mental endurance 
that I've gained from it far outweighs. Yeah, yeah. I believe. Yeah. My wife probably wouldn't agree with me, but <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, now there is not a single thing that could possibly happen that would sway me in any way to think that I couldn't get, get through it. Yeah, okay. There's yeah. nothing that could possibly happen. So 2020, the year of COVID-19, uh, didn't, even, didn't even sway you a little did, bit? Well, of course we all worried during, during that, but I knew that we were going to get through it. Yeah. I knew we were going to su 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 survive it. And I knew that coming out of it, we were still going to be the biggest, the best, and the strongest club. Yeah. And we are. Yeah. And you just did what you had to do to get through it that just time. Did, just did what we had to do. Yeah. The hard part about that, of course, was that it was something that was completely out of my control. Yes. Because normally if, if I've got control of something, then the outcome's a sure surety. I know I'm going to get there. Yeah. But when it's in somebody else's hands, that's when you start, start to worry. And that was probably the first time in my life where it was completely out of my hands. But then I thought, well, okay, well, what, what can I do inside the constraints of what, what it is that we've got and push that to the nth degree, which is exactly what we did. So all the online classes that we were running, all the podcast stuff that we were doing, talking to the members on a more personal level through phone calls all the time. And, yeah. and, I, and I took on new ways of interacting with people that I still do today, which I think makes me a better businessman now yeah. than what I was pre-COVID. Mm. And I think a lot of big businesses did the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, sort of, it forced you in a position where you had to adapt to something else. And if you didn't, if you couldn't adapt and overcome, then you were going to be lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah, you weren't going to come out the other end yeah. in an okay shape. Yeah. Yeah, and the idea of not su surviving it was never an option for me. Yeah, it was never an option. Well, from being in here this morning, like it's certainly thriving, and it's been mm. nice to see the community is still there and the busyness is still there and it's yeah it's been really awesome mm. now this is speaking of the year that we've just had yep. this is why i've got my last question is where do you see the future of sport where do i see the future of sport it's funny too because everyone thinks that everything's changed because of covid yeah i personally don't think that that's going to be the case i think that the sport is still going to thrive we need it as part of our not just our physical well-being but for our mental health yeah it is so important and to without sport you can't have as much passion in your life mm -hmm. and you need that passion in your life and i think that's why we bounce back so well because this is a sport you you can be passionate about yeah everyone wants that in their life and they're people prepared to break rules for that to happen mm -hmm. so i think the future of sport looks really really bright we just need to make sure that we've got the right co co coaches in place to be able to be good leaders. Yeah, definitely. And like speaking of the recovery, I know the swim school that I run, we have had record numbers mm. in term one. And it's been, it's been really great to see so many people passionate and wanting to get mm. into it. And we had a wait list a mile long. We had even speaking of like adults. So adults that have never learned how to swim, I guess the drowning stats over mm. summer maybe inspired that a little bit, but the adults that have never learned how to swim, well, we've got a waiting list mm. a mile long and I'm trying to like scratch my brain and push <laughs> things back and go, where can I put like these 10 adults that have a fear of water, but want mm. to get into the pool. And yeah, like it's, yeah, it's amazing to see, I think a positive future for sport. And the, I think COVID was a good wake up for the ones that maybe didn't know how much they needed sport in their yeah. life. Yeah. And it showed them how how life felt when it's gone. You know, they might have taken their yoga class 
every week for granted, but it showed them what it was like without it. And yeah, I think sport has a good, positive future. I think it does. I, and again, what we needed was just a little reminder, as we all do from time to time, that yep. gratitude for, for everything in your life has to be at the forefront. And mm-hmm. I think being shut down for, for so long, people really appreciated being able to come, come, come and train and their gratitude for what it is that, that, that sports instructors and coaches do, yep. the role that they play and how important that it is on, the, on their mental health, on their kids' mental health, children's well-being mm-hmm. um, the importance of that couldn't be any higher now yeah so to see parents who come in and actually deeply appreciate what it is that we do yeah has been a, a really really good thing and now we've got all these really awesome problems like you guys <laughs> where do we put these 10 adults how am I going to accommodate this class of 50 kids yeah yeah you know and and they're, they're just all good, positive problems to have. They are. And at the time, you're like, oh, no, like not another one to put on the wait list. But then you're like, wait, hold on. Yeah. Look where we were six months ago. This is the best possible problem with mm. air quotations to have. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming no on. At all. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's, it, it's been really, really good. Great to be a part of your journey as well. I've been a, a, a friend of your fa- families for many years now. Yeah. And I'm um, just really excited to see where, where the future goes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top-level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.